0: So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. May God add and bless the reading of His Word. May be seated. There's an unmistakable day on a calendar in the life of every child under the age of 12. It's a day that if they had a blackberry, if they had a paper calendar, with a giant red marker would be circled. And that day is December 25th of any calendar year, Christmas. Right? It's the one day that you can count that each and every child is consciously awaiting. And because that day has taken such prominence in life, it actually begins to affect the way children behave. If you are a parent or you remember what those days before Christmas were like leading up to this event, you you remember it well. The child, who is an absolute rapscallion, For 11 months of the year, come December 1st, experiences a renovation unseen any other time of the year. Why? Have they been convinced and convicted of the importance of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus in such a way that it begins to manifold and manifest godliness out in their life? Not with my kid, at least. But it is because, I think, that we have informed them that Santa Claus is coming to town, right? He's doing what? Well, the kids are in the nursery. He's, He's making a list. He's checking it twice because he's going to find out who's naughty and who's nice. And armed with this knowledge our children, determined that we have to begin to change our life if we want to awake that fateful morning and find what we have breathlessly awaited under the tree. There are days that hold significance for us, so much so that it affects the way we live our life. If we have a few more days like yesterday, we will be reminded that rapidly approaching is beach season, right? It was beautiful outside yesterday. And what does beach season mean for so many of our friends in the audience? Well, it means bathing suit shopping and season. And bathing suit season means exercise. Season right, I've uh, for about gosh I guess three weeks now. I've been on a diet, not necessarily because I'm consciously concerned about the way I look in in my bathing suit. It's it's quite covering and about as flattering as I could make it be. But I'm aware that the time is coming that mandates or necessitates a change. In the way that I am living my life. For the past several months now, our beloved pastor has instructed us from the Minor Prophets. And I don't know about you, but I have found myself seated where you are sitting, and at times encouraged, at times crushed, at times hopeful, at times thankful but always, always conscious of the fact that a time is rapidly approaching where things will be different. And because what he is doing in the Minor Prophets is so far above my pay grade, I'm not going anywhere near. Instead, I thought it would be appropriate for us this morning to take a look And how the knowledge that a day is coming and I'm, I'm speaking of day capital D, day of the Lord is coming and how that day should begin to affect the way that you and I think and see and perceive our life. You know that day, that knowledge of that day just like Christmas, just like beach season should begin a thousand times more to impact the way that you and I go about our daily life. The way that we order things. 2 Peter chapter 3 is a very curious passage. I don't know if these things kind of hopped out at you as I read them from the pulpit. But there's a lot of stuff going on in here. And we're going to do our best to unpack a little bit of it. But as we do it, I want to give you three keywords, Three little coat hangers that we can kind of hang this passage on. So if you have a pen, if you're taking notes, let me give you these three keywords and then we'll begin to kind of flesh these things out a little bit. They all start with E. The first one is everyone. Everyone. The second is everything. Everything. And the third is every effort. We looked at verse 8 and we came to the place as. Peter is addressing these churches in Asia Minor, these groups of believers that have been scattered because of the persecution under the Emperor Nero that's taking place at this time, and have labored under this persecution for, depending on how you date the letter, for at least five or six years since his first address in 1 Peter that's been recorded there in 1 Peter. And as these groups of believers are laboring, they fall prey to that thing which tempts us all during periods of difficulty or hardship. We begin to look around and ask that question, How long, O Lord? How how long? And he writes to him, and we find these words. But do not forget, friends. Do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow, as people understand slowness, but he's patient. He's patient. You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, this is very easy to relate to. It's very easy for me to come to that place where I understand those questions of why, those questions of how long, and there has been an insidious group of teachers who have weaseled their way into the churches and the whisper that's gone out among these false teachers whom Peter has written this second letter against is this. He's not coming. He's not. He's forgotten about us. You fools. What are you doing? Yeah, maybe shortly after the resurrection, there was reason for hope, but, how long are we supposed to wait? Have you not heard what Nero was doing in Rome? Have you not heard about the spectacle he's making of our brothers and sisters? He's not coming. You are left without hope. And when we find ourselves pressed, crushed, persecuted, and those agents of the evil one weasel their way in and whisper those things in our ears, it is hard for the faithful to cling to hope. But the reassurance that Peter offers this group 2,000 years ago, this group today, is that our Lord is not slow as we understand slowness. But God's patience equals salvation. Think about that for a minute. That the patience of our Lord equals the salvation of who? This is curious. Of who? Everyone. Now, there's a lot that goes into that. And it would be wrong and a mistake for us to take any portion of Scripture and lift it out of its context and misunderstand what's going on here. Because when we think about God's salvation, we think about the, what, the work that has gone on throughout history, we're cognizant of the fact that not everyone will join us in glory. So as Peter is making reference to who it is that's going to be saved, it's important for us as students of the scripture to always take God's word and view it in light of all of the scriptures. And what do the scriptures teach about the salvation of God? That according to his riches and glory, and according to his foreknowledge and his forethought and his sovereign electing purposes, God has chosen for himself a people. A people who without rhyme or without reason or without deserving, God has selected and there's mystery in this. And I don't profess to understand it. But I'm telling you what the scriptures have taught us. That as no. Deserving on our part. God has poured out his mercy. He's poured out his favor. He's poured out his grace. Among a people. That he is. Selected to love and to cherish. And if you read in verse 9, if you back up, there's a promise that's made. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. And so as we train this down and we look at who this everyone is, the everyone is the everyone to whom God has made the promise. And what is that promise? It's the promise that goes all the way back to Genesis All the way back, first to Genesis three fifteen, that a redeemer is coming, who will crush the head of the evil one, and from that promise moves forward into Genesis twelve, into Genesis fifteen, and his covenant with Abram that I will be their God and these people will be my people and I will love them and bless them, and by extension, through the time, uh, the tunnel of history, to us here today whom God has poured out his love, poured out his mercy. And so, as we think about what it means to live in the light of this day that's coming, it begins with the knowledge that our God is not sitting back in his lazy boy, twiddling his thumbs, waiting for the time which he has appointed that the son will come and redeem those of us who continue to toil and labor here, but that he is working and waiting and drawing to salvation each and every person whom he has appointed. You know what that means? We're going to get into this a little bit fuller later, but let me just let you sneak peek ahead here. You know what that means? There's nobody left behind. There's nobody left on the outside looking in. Because though all of mankind deserves what is rightfully in store for them, which is a wrathful punishment of their rebellion and sin, God has said, not for my people. Not for the ones whom I love, whom I cherish, who have repented of their sins and have turned to me. No man is left behind. wasn't the marines that started that motto it was our lord it was our savior so what does this mean what does this mean for those of us living in the light of this day i think it means this that god is not unconcerned about your circumstances he's not unconcerned about the things that steal your joy that weigh you down that cause you Stress and concern. He knows those things. He's not aware of those things. He knows what's happening in Rome under Nero. He knows these things. But what he has called us to do is to make sacrifice for the benefit of others. Think about that. The only reason that God himself has not swept in And collected those whom he has poured out his love. Is because the story for other people have not been written yet. There are still some. Whom God has loved. And who have not repented of of their sin. Yet to turn to him. There's still some out there. Whom he is seeking to love. And to cherish. Who have not come into the fold yet. And so we labor now. For the benefit of of those who have not yet turned I told you I was dieting but you know what I'm not doing that for me I'm I'm married we're going to have our 10 year wedding anniversary in July my wife is sufficiently pleased with me she loves me she likes me with a little extra I'm not dieting for my own vain purposes I'm dieting because I've got a four-year-old girl and a beautiful wife and high cholesterol and I want to be around for them. And so for me to push back that extra dessert, if it were only for vain purposes, would not be that easy. But because I sacrifice for them that I might be able to be around a little bit longer, it's really not that tough and on an ultra-importance level. Let me challenge you, friends. I know we're making sacrifices. Financial sacrifices, emotional sacrifices. But if we begin to perceive these sacrifices in light, that some who do not yet know the Lord might have that opportunity. Okay, bring it on. Look, I'm ready. I'm ready for the day of the Lord. I really am. But not if it means that there is one person who would repent that does not have the opportunity would do so. And the promise that our Lord has made is that that won't happen. He's waiting. He's patient. Everyone, everyone whom the Lord has called will have that opportunity before he returns. The second thing is this. Everything. Everything. You heard it in here. And I've got to admit, this is scary language. Did you hear it when I read it? It says, uh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And and the heavens are disappearing with a roar. And we've got elements being destroyed by fire. And this is a very loud passage. And so what is he teaching us about this day of the Lord as it approaches, as everything will be destroyed. Well, Peter is using some powerful language. He's using some powerful language to capture this renovating work of redemption that God has begun first at the cross, carried throughout history to this point, up until the day where he will return. It's this idea that God is actively restoring and renovating the world, and ourselves as we know it. The promise that's been given to us, and, and we, we really don't have time this morning to kind of trace this all the way out, but I think our pastor has done it in a couple different locations, is, is what we will experience on that day of the Lord is not some disembodied eternal existence floating around playing harps on clouds, Basking in the glow of the glories of Jesus. But a real, physical, bodily resurrection to be spent in eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. And in order for the new heaven and the new earth to be ushered in, the old must be passed away. It must be done away with. And I think Peter selects this language of of consummation and fire to show the destruction of all that is corrupted and fallen. You remember what happened in those fateful first passages of Genesis as the fall of humanity is recounted. It it really encompasses so much more than you and I. In fact, all of creation was touched with with the stain of sin. Paul, as he's writing to the the Christians in Rome, in Romans, recounts these things, that all of creation is groaning as if in labor pains, awaiting this day of the Lord that will come. And in Scripture, as we find this imagery of fire, there's really two things, two connotations that this imagery of fire represents. The first is judgment. That what will come with the day of the Lord is God's righteous and good judgment upon all that is corrupt. That there's someone at home in the universe, that phrase that Mike likes to use. It has an image of judgment and it has an image of refining. The refiner's fire that comes and burns away all that is extraneous. And so, as we think about Everyone, and as we look to everything, what are we saying? That everything is going to be renovated and new. Every aspect of creation completed, restored to the way that God had intended it to be. So that the new heaven, the new earth, might be ushered in. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean for those of us attempting to live in the light and the knowledge that this day is coming? How, do, how does this affect us? Well, Peter asked this same question in verse 11. Did you hear it? He says, Since everything will be destroyed, what kind of people ought we to be? It's a million dollar question. What kind of people ought we to be? He says, You ought to live holy. And godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And speed its coming. You know what he says? Two things. We need to lead. And we need to speed. We need to lead godly lives. This is the emphasis that 1 Peter is all about. You remember 1 Peter? And uh, and chapters, uh, what was it? Chapter, uh, we flip back here. Chapter 1. Chapter 1 verse 13 through 16. As he says... Be holy. Why? Because the Lord your God is holy. This is the calling that's been placed in our life. It's a calling to be different. It's a calling to be separated from the corruption that is existing in this world. That you and I might be a people set apart, consumed with a different mandate for living. A mandate that says we choose to trust God. And order our lives according to what God Almighty has said is important. That we would lead godly lives. And that we would speed His coming. And how do we do that? How do we speed His coming? Well, if He's being patient, waiting for everyone, and if we want to speed that process along, what must we do? Tell other people, right? We've got to tell other people about this sovereign God who loves them and has called them to live a different life in relationship with his son. I get funny looks. I get funny looks. When people meet me, they find out that I hold to a theology that's reformed, that my doctrine kind of lines up with what Calvin and other people have taught about election and predestination and such things. And then they find out I'm the head of an evangelistic organization. You know, they think, man, you got it easy. What, do you just go to work and put your feet up and wait for the Lord to do his thing? I mean, you know? If, if he's going to sovereignly... Ch- they don't understand. They don't understand. If we are to properly understand scriptures and understand what God has really called his church to be about and do, it's to speed is coming through evangelism. Because here's the mystery. Yes, God sovereignly elects and loves and calls and draws out those whom he has poured his love upon. The mystery of it all is that he said, and you're going to be a part of the process. You are going to be my instrument to sound this gospel. It is as if Rembrandt passed you the paintbrush then grasped your hand as you began to work. What a mystery. What a sense of humor (laughs) that he would use you, use me, fallen, messed up, imperfect, to sound the good news. Friends, I labor like you. I wrestle like you. And I await the day of the Lord. But as I do, friends, we've got work to do. There are people in the cubicle next to you who may not know the Lord. There are people at your country club. There are people at your dinner table whom God has loved. and perhaps patiently waiting to call out to salvation. And our responsibility, friends, is to love and to be that trumpet that He's called us to be. That's what it means, that we lead, that we speed, and finally it's this. Everyone whom God has loved come to repentance everything is being renovated in preparation for the new heaven and the new earth and finally every effort verse 14 says so then dear friends since you're looking forward to this this new heaven this new earth make every effort to be found spotless blameless and at peace with him. You know, spotless and blameless are Old Testament words. They're Old Testament words describing the sacrificial system. Blameless and spotless is what both the sacrifice and the sacrificing priest were to be. You see how it it fits back? That everyone who's being called out by us mandates that we make sacrifice. It mandates that you and I put off what we long for. Like Paul himself said that, you know, I, I long to go be with Jesus, but it's better for me now to be here. That's, that's got to be our motto. That we too make sacrifices. That we begin to think of ourselves as trying to attempt to be spotless, blameless, in contrast, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, you know what he says about those who are the false teachers, those whisperings that are going out among the church? You know what he calls them? He calls them blots and blemishes. And he says, if they're blots and blemishes, what I want you to be, you who look to the resurrection, you who look to the second coming, I want you to be spotless and blameless. We've got to be the opposite. Of what those who whisper there is no hope is. Be spotless. Be blameless. And to be at peace. Mike, uh, in a a different setting, as I was talking with him about other situations and circumstances, he said this to me, and that's something that kind of sticks in your head, that you can't really get out, no matter how much you, you try. He says, I'm convinced that there are two things that every person longs for. Two things that every person longs for. They long first to be forgiven, and they long for peace. They long to be forgiven to understand that there's a God at home in the universe who cares about what's right and what's wrong and even though we have offended this God that there is sacrifice made that could atone for the things that we've done they long to know these things and we long to know that there's peace available to us that we have access to this and the funny thing about peace is that peace comes from trusting and trusting is built through obedience And obedience is born out of times of trial. Did you catch that? That peace comes from trusting. Trusting is built through obedience. And obedience is born out of times of trial. So we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity, friends, as we face these trials. As we look forward to that day where all will be called home. Where everything will be renovated. We are called to make every effort in these times to wait with anticipation about, with, about which our Lord is doing. peace that comes from trust. A trust that comes through obedience. And obedience that's born out of trials. And so, let me just close by asking you this. What would it look like in your life, to make every effort to be blameless before the Lord? What would it look like? For some of us it means excising out of our life things that have taken root, taken hold. Removing these things that we have kept under wraps, that we've kept secret, We've not allowed anyone to see. And maybe that's what it means to be blameless. Maybe it means that there are things that need to enter into your life. Namely forgiveness. A new relationship. A remembering of your first love. I don't know what it means. I know what it means for me. So join with me. If you've got room on your prayer list and praying that I would be captivated day by day with the understanding and knowledge that God is real, that he loves me, that he is who he says he is, and that I am who he says I am. You can pray that for me, but for sure. I don't know what it looks like for you. But I know that if you and I want to be people who are living a life in preparation for this day that we know is coming. And we begin to keep these things in mind. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, it's hard for me not to want to come to you and shout sometimes. Where are you? What are you doing? Why am I here? This is too tough. And then I am reminded about how much you love me. I'm reminded about what you are doing in your world. That my sacrifice means salvation for those people who you are calling to yourself. Lord, help me to see these things with your eyes. Help me to remember that you are a God who loves who heals, who meets us where we are. Lord, I thank you for this renovating work that you're doing in our world. As you tear down the old so that it might be made new again. Father, help us to be found blameless, spotless, at peace, at work, calling those through the power of the Holy Spirit Come to faith. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Give us grace as we try to work these things out. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, stand with me. We have a hymn of response found on page 529. Love divine, all loves accept.